Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life. Today we are going to continue to provide support and encouragement uh, as we go through this COVID-19 crisis. And we are going to uh, talk about surviving in this time and how to respond. Uh, what's up today? Uh, we're going to talk about the elephant in the room. What is it? Uh, the elephant in the room is the big, and it's not a joke actually, and I don't mean it to be a joke, but it's the thing that we're not so often willing to talk about or acknowledge or look at, and uh, is coming up right front and center in this epidemic, and that is our own mortality. That's the elephant in the room? That's the elephant okay. in the room. Okay, yeah. that's one way to say it. Yeah. Yeah, we are going to talk about that today. So, again, we are the Survivor's Guide to Life, uh, coming to you on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of our real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure, it can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Well, you know, you're right. But when we talk about exciting, we don't want people to misunderstand. We're not saying, oh, it's a high and everything's wonderful right now. But I think that what we're really saying is there's such value that can come out of these very difficult experiences. We've been talking about it now for a long time. And all of a sudden, now we're sitting in the middle of a world pandemic um, that's got the world turned upside down. And uh, we've been talking about how there is actually value that can come out of these very difficult times. Um, interestingly, I've been, I, I, I like the word helping people recover from trauma a lot, and um, I've been doing it now, you're right, it'll be 50 years in September. But I think that what really interested me and is that I've been doing this for so long. It doesn't seem like so long, folks, because it's pretty intense work. But I think until my wife got sick, and I became so involved in her caregiving and, and uh, doing whatever I could to, to comfort her. And, uh, the, the, the depth of empathy and understanding that I have from it has changed me so much. It doesn't mean that I've dismissed all of that I knew before. It just gives me a more personal connection, really personal connection with what um, we're talking about when we say value and hope can come out of difficulties. Folks, I want you to know, we talk about it can be exciting. I want the, I'll want i tell you what the other word is. It can be, and it is, agonizing. Yes. Now, when we say that, I don't mean to, what I really want to establish is we're not any different than anyone else, although we've been doing it a lot longer. We train other caregivers and first responders um, of all kinds on how to take care of themselves and uh, restore themselves after they've had a difficult time in the work, and the work is difficult. But we're not talking about transcendent understanding. I'm not one of those people that's big on transcendence anyway. I've always had my feet on the ground, you know, solidly planted. Um, and there's a reason for it. I grew up that way. And um, I'm glad of it. To be honest with you, I'm really glad of it. Because I do like 
certainly more advanced kinds of awareness and thinking and I've, I've gained so much over the years of my training but the truth is my basics have always stayed with me and they've become more and more important so the what I what I feel so connected with is that when I talk to you I'm talking to a fellow human being and I can empathize just not have compassion for your struggles I can identify with them the, 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 the nice part of this is I don't have to hemorrhage my pain into your pain and make it more difficult. I actually know how to put it on hold until I have my own time to take care of it. But I know a lot about self-care and I know how important it is. But nobody's saying that it's easy or that it goes, it's so exciting and wonderful. What comes out of it though is so valuable and that's what's exciting because it gives us a, a, new, a sense of true food, true understanding um, about life, the purpose of life, appreciation for life, gratitude for the little things, um, the value of loving in a, such a genuine, caring, selfless way. Now, those, those are pretty far out concepts when you're, you hear about them and you can say, geez, they're wonderful and they sound great and I, I could sit in church or synagogue or whatever and oh, I love those things. Well, that's one, that's one thing to profess. It's another one to experience it. Because there's no, I don't sense any way to get there unless you've gone through the struggles and the pain and the agonizing process of coming out the other side or certainly beginning to embrace it as you go through it. So this is the kind of thing we want to connect you with and say we're connected with you. And, we've, and we want to give people the hope and encouragement, but not from a place of sitting on a throne and acting like we know so much. The only reason we know a lot is our personal calling. We've been doing it a lot. I've been doing it 50 years. Thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of this. And it's been something that I've been devoted, my life has been devoted to. It still is. But in doing that, it's made me a different human being to prepare me for each challenge as they get more difficult. To me, the most difficult challenges of my life right now are being at my wife's side, taking care of her as she's going through these last, the last journey of her life, and keeping her close to us. Now I say us because I have people, fellow caregivers that work, we work as a team. And we've t learned to put together teams for other folks that are in need. What I've learned is everybody who's involved in this process grows and changes and improves and every person that's been involved in our team it's such a blessing to me to watch them change and to come into themselves it's a beautiful experience and yet they go through so much pain and they're there going and they're being confronted with themselves in some very difficult situations just like any first responder we're in very tough times we're in difficulties that can be overwhelming. We go in with the best intentions, with all the skills that we've learned, and yet the situations may call for something we don't know how to do. In fact, no one does. And you have to change on the moment. And you have to know how to be so fluid in these very difficult situations. You know what's really hard? Because it throws us back on ourselves. And it forces us to look at ourselves. A very agonizing and painful thing to do but if you're involved in the work of caring for others, that's what happens. 
if there are people that don't make it, they can't take the pain, it's overwhelming. And I've seen them leave. They can't, as, as bright as they are and talented, they really do not have the heart for it. It's not their calling. I've seen it with nurses. I've seen it with doctors. I've seen it with therapists. Uh, I've seen it with first responders and caregivers. We've helped many of them, to be honest with you, from when they reach a point of burnout, when they haven't known how to take care of themselves, they haven't known how to deal with the pain and growth that they need to experience to con con continue to be really good at their work and get better and better at it and to become more purposeful and fulfilled as a human being. There are plenty of people that do this work that don't make it. You know, I've seen a lot of burnouts. And they're not the most pleasant people. They're usually filled with resentment and negativity. Um, not a fun thing, but yet we've been called in many times as consultants to take a look at a situation and we can see it instantly. When the caregivers or the first responders have had it and they've reached a point where they never know how to take care of themselves, they're physically and emotionally breaking down and they're not doing anybody any good anymore. So we know what that can be like. Personally, I wouldn't want to be like that. I, I would rather take on the challenge of looking at myself and improving no matter how agonizing it is, and it is agonizing. But my commitment is to the folks that are in need, and now it includes my own wife. You're, you're talking about something that we've talked about in past episodes, which is extraordinary reality. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this living in a situation, wanting to serve or being called or, or not having a choice, being in a situation uh, in which the your daily life includes the prospect of death and dying, mm -hmm. or uh, real crisis over trauma. which yeah. trauma, which over which you may have no control, yeah. and and not being able to to know what to do. Um, it's a it's as you say, some people don't handle it well, don't have the skills to care for themselves and work through these situations. But this is a skill that can be learned. It can be, you know, you, I'm not going to admit that I have the answers for everything or the compassion for everything. So you're bringing up a topic about people that run away or um, take a look at a situation and instead of engaging with it and, and doing whatever they have to do to get through it to help somebody, they go the other way. I'm not the most empathetic person because I'm from Jersey. My answer is, where the heck are you going? This person needs you. Let's go and I'll watch these people just disappear. It's, it's not that unusual. No, and the reason I bring it up too is that with the pandemic, with COVID-19, many people are now finding themselves in this situation and need some help and guidance, and we want to provide that. That's right. And um, I think that this is probably, it's interesting with the pandemic, because these are issues that we have been addressing for a long time, and here we are. And it's on a massive level of the kind of thing we've been talking about. Here we go. We're talking about the world facing an unseen enemy that is deadly. Part of their daily life now. Mm-hmm. And it's affecting their economy, their economics, businesses. They're, fe they're fearful. Um, they're anxious. We're seeing a lot of things. But I've also, and we've talked about this before, it's not just some people that run away. <laughs> In our society anyway, I could speak for our society, it's set up with distraction and avoidance. Anything that we can invest in that's going to take our minds off of the reality of there's a condition of life that it does involve death 
and dying. And one day, our own death and our own dying. No one's going to escape without escape this. And yet, if you watch how our society runs, unless you're, you're sh cut down with a disease or a loved one is, our society is geared not to deal with that condition of life and not even want to look at it. I think many people think that the best outcome is either dying in your sleep or going very quickly. Fast. And that's, I'll be honest with you, that I don't think that's the best. Well, not that we have a choice. There's a, there's a, through the Middle Ages, I was just reading an article. It's a really good article. Yeah. I wanted, uh, let, me, let me give people the information. This is from the Wall Street Journal last yeah. Friday, the 24th of April. The title is Dying Gives Us a Chance to Confront Truth. It's written by C. Kevin Rowe. And he's a divinity professor, a scholar at the Duke University. This is a really, this is close. I mean, he speaks a little bit differently than we do, and yet he hits it on the mark. How does he hit it on the mark? His wife is dying and he takes care of her. And here's a man who's obviously an intellect, and yet through this article, you get some very real um, connection with the, how painful and difficult the process is, and yet the value that comes out of it. I'd love to have this guy on as a guest of our show. He's, he's really a fine man, and I like his article. And, and we'll talk about it when we get back, right? Let's do that. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Peter and I are again talking about some of the uh, experience and the uh, urgency and the, uh, the pain around COVID-19 pandemic and the way it has come into everyone's life uh, and confronting us in ways that are painful and we may have wanted to avoid, one of which is our own mortality. Well, you know, it's, it's this man, what's his name again? Uh, C. Kevin Rowe. Really good. And what, you know, what he talked about uh, was what's behind the fear and anxiety, the anxiety that this is on a massive level. Yes. And he, he's right. It's, it's not just the anxiety, it's the fear of death. It's behind the, it's, it's fueling and intensifying the, the fear and the panic that people are feeling about the pandemic. And they don't live in an extraordinary reality because it's a condition of life. We face it every day. We help people who face it. We help pe we've helped people that are caregivers. And, uh, they, they know about it. They deal with it. It's not the common everyday reality. All of a sudden, though... It's being forced. On all of us. There is a crisis. There's no denying it, and it's not a good one. It's a, anybody who would boast about this crisis would be crazy. The, it, it, we live in a broken world, and some terrible things happen, and here we are. We have an invisible enemy that's, that's deadly. But the interesting part of it is it's only going to be a small percentage of all of us that, that don't make it through this. But none of us are going to escape facing something, and that is we're all going to die someday. We're all going to have to face that fact. And there is a value to facing it. 
but not everybody's doing so well with it so far. Okay. And um, <laughs> we've studied and we've been part of other crises in helping people. We've written a book about it. We've written many papers that have been published on it. There's phases that people go through. And when we looked at this crisis initially, people were, you know, population wasn't looking real good. And they were going they didn't care about each other. They were rough, distrustful, angry, self-serving. It was not a pretty sight. Um, people were scared. But in their fear, they were turning against each other. And the suspicion and the paranoia was, you could cut it with a knife. Everyone was seeing someone else as a potential yeah. threat. Yeah, oh. And I think the media was really, really feeding right into that. But I'll tell you something, that's, I do see it, there is something that's beginning to change. There's a new emphasis on, and I hear many organizations and agencies encouraging this, people beginning to show interest in their fellow man, that the barriers need to come down. Caring about others that are having it even worse than you is pretty darn important. It's one of our principles of, 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 uh, that we talk about in surviving. It's so important. I am beginning to see it. I think so too. I think uh, people are starting to see real concrete needs emerging for needs for masks. People are making masks. Mm -hmm. Need for food, for food banks. Need for housing for people who can't be in their shelters anymore. So specific needs are starting to emerge and people are starting to respond. There seems to be some compassion. I was talking to one homeless man on Saturday and he did not look like a broken mess. He was in a wheelchair and he was camped out in front of Lucky's Market next to it. And I just went up to talk to him and he was very clear about what happened. And he said a lot of the shelters uh, because of the social distancing, yes, have yes. to cut their populations, and he's one of them. And he said, "Well, thank God the you know the weather's nice. I can camp out right here." And he was talking about it. He's in a wheelchair. He's incapacitated. He began to tell me what happened to him a few years ago. Um, he obviously doesn't have money um, because he can't work. But when we were talking about, I'm listening to this, and he was a very clear man about what's happening. And you know what he said? It was really cute. And he said, you know what people aren't used to? The worm in the apple pie. The worm in the apple the pie? The worms in the apple pie. And I go, I, I first went, I go, what? And he says, that's right. He says, everybody wants to live like it's we're the apple pie. Right. But they don't want to deal with the possibility that there could be worms in it. Uh, and I went, and he wasn't far, this was not a guy who was way out or anything. No. What he was he talking about. He was thoughtful, about, though. He was thoughtful, and he was smart. And he says, this is a condition of life people don't want to deal with and yet it could be it's part of the pie sometimes and here he's sitting here he's got his food laid out on the concrete he's got a, a bedroll I don't know how he gets into it because he was in a wheelchair and he wasn't looking for handouts or whatever and I, I'll be honest with you on Saturday I saw enough homeless people in various ways and I did give them one each one it just <laughs> I, you know, I have a certain budget every week. Well, I looked at how much I had left at the end of Saturday, and I went, well, I didn't think of it at the time, and I don't care, but there were enough homeless people that I wanted to give some to help them. Yeah. And not all of them were sitting out there begging. Some were. The, um, but I looked at this and going, this is more, most, some of the pandemic, that there's going to be more and more homeless people, more and more people that are destitute, and we have to care about them. Um, but it's interesting when you can talk to somebody who's very lucid and is homeless, 
um, about what's going on in their reality. Yeah. And I was touched. He was a smart, this last man I talked to was a smart guy. I think his name is Marcos. But um, definitely a smart man. And yet he was incapacitated and he didn't, he didn't have much money at all. Mm -hmm. um, so it was good to talk to him and he's well aware of what's going on and that people now are being forced to face the worm in the pie, I called it. And I remember I, it caught me the way I said, what? Yeah. yeah. And, I just, and then I said, well, the worm in the pie. People don't want to look that there could be a worm in the pie sometimes. What he's talking about is things are changing. He's one of the people living at that part of life. So he certainly knows about that extraordinary reality. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people haven't wanted to even get near it. No. Now it's in everybody's face. So I think that one of the things that we want to encourage people to, to realize is good will come out of this. And I, I can speak from personal experience. As agonizing, I know I had a rough time, with my wife had a rough time this weekend and I was caregiving on Saturday and it was tough. I felt helpless to, to, to do anything and that was a terrible feeling for me. I don't want her to be uncomfortable in any way. I, she got, we got her through it, but frankly, I was up all night checking in on her constantly because I was so agonized and torn up to see that I love her very much. Um, but there's things that come out of this that are so darn meaningful that I couldn't have found in my best day. Finding out, and I've always been a man who likes the truth and authenticity. I know I've sometimes been misunderstood, but most of the time not. And yet this is something where it cuts through everything to the truth and what's really important and authentic in life, no matter what other people think, and that's what you live by. And you begin to focus on what's really important in life. And I gotta say, I was a guy, I've, I've said this in another broadcast, I can't lie, I like the big things. And I've lived big. And yet today, I don't live badly, but <laughs> not like I used to. But my appreciation and gratitude for the littlest things in life fulfills me. Now, if you would have asked me, could Peter Bernstein ever be that way? I think people that have known me would have said, no way. But it is true. Could I love totally selflessly and give of myself and feel it as a privilege, heartfelt, as deeply as anybody could feel? I live that today. If you would have asked me about it years ago, I, <laughs> I said, that's a nice concept, but I couldn't get to it. That's the way I live today. And yet, in some ways, I'm certainly more purposeful and more fulfilled today than I've ever been before. Is it pleasant and painless? No. In fact, it comes through the pain and the agonies that I go through. All of our staff and all of the, all of the team, of course, we all feel the agony. We all feel the love. We all feel the loss that's impending. We and, do, but none of us are the husband of a wife mm -hmm. nearing the end of her life. It's, it's rough. And that is the experience that, that uh, C. Kevin Rowe wrote about. And I could definitely. I and you can right. identify with this. That is an intense experience uh, that has brought you to some of the realizations you've been talking about. Absolutely, and it's not just intellectual realizations. But you know, he talks about, you know, he's obviously a theologian. I don't know if he's a, a pastor or something, but he's definitely a theologian. And he talks about um, that a lot of people think the best way to do and I've heard more people say, it's better if she just goes now, or a quick death is better. And you know, I'll be honest with you. I understand I the appeal. It may be, but I, I never was, I wasn't in that no. place. No. And I'm still not. 
Um, and he talks about in the Middle Ages, the uh, Christian culture, I guess, had a principle called Ars Moriendi, the art of dying. I want to tell you, it's one of the most merciful lessons, the most meaningful lessons I've ever had in my life. It's, it is slower, but what you can learn. He says that this is, that means that it is a good thing to see death coming and to have time to prepare. I got to tell you, when he wrote that, I'm thinking, I thank God every day that he's been so merciful to give me the time to learn about death and dying, and to and to begin to accept it and embrace it, and it's it's as hard as it may be on me. I'll be honest with you. I'll take this any day, because it's teaching me so much about what's important in life, and I'm learning about the one thing that I probably didn't know enough about, and that is dying and death. And I've helped other people with death and dying, and family members. But this is, and I've also gone through it myself. But this is the time in my life that I am gaining so much, and I am so grateful for what I'm being taught. Because in, the closer I seem to get to understanding death and dying and mortality, I'm also finding a freedom that I have now that I've never had before. A freedom not to worry about the things I know other people worry about, what they think of me, or. Um, people who don't like me, I, I don't know those people many, sometimes I do, but I'm wondering, how could they not like me? What did I do? You know what? That's life. There's people that aren't going to like us. And they're going to, they can lie, they can do things, and other people may believe them, and I go, they're lying. I don't even waste my time anymore worrying about what people think, because I'm more focused on what really matters. If someone uh, in business is heartless to me, they are not my friends. I don't like them. Because to me, it's the people with heart that, that understand this, that have a, 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 not just a compassion, but empathy yeah. and an understanding. Those pe and it's amazing how many people are like that. I know so many. And there's a bond that we, that we have. And it makes everything so much more meaningful. The people that are heartless tell me, that what the message to me is, they don't get it, and frankly, I don't have time to waste on what they're so concerned about. And I make it, I, since I'm so outspoken, of course, I can be very clear about it. It's lucky sometimes Jenny's around when I'm, we're doing business things, and she'll go, okay, maybe we should talk about something else. Yeah, so she'll intervene, because people like that, I feel they're, waste, they're wasting my time. They're wasting your energy. They're wasting my you energy. Need it for something else. That's right. And frankly, and when you're in this part of life, you become so much more economical with your energy because you want to give it where it really counts. And it's precious to the people that really need it. So I, I work on a very economical energy economy now that is very precious to me and I'm very careful of it. I'm not perfect at it by any means, but I certainly am aware of it. And that's come out of dealing with very difficult times. Very difficult times. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break.
Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And again, Peter and I are talking about um, the experience of COVID-19 pandemic and what we can learn and what we can hopefully ultimately gain from this experience. Yeah. Uh, we're specifically talking right now before the break about an article that was in the Wall Street Journal last week, a very perceptive and very touching uh, heartfelt, meaningful article. Uh, just before the break, you were talking about um, the process of facing uh, mortality and death, and having done that to discover some freedom not to worry about things that really don't matter. Uh, you know, one of the things that I remember he wrote about that, he's a Christian theologian. Um, and I like what he said, but he's, he was talking about um, what Jesus said you could never really have have a really full, rich life until you can face death. And he was absolutely correct. It's the freedom that it gives you, that you can have joy in the midst of pain and suffering, and I can attest to it. Yes. Every moment, happiness, no. no. But joy and fulfillment, Yes, the answer is yes. So, you know, I read that, and I, you know what I'm thinking about? We've been involved, we were involved with um, a nonprofit from Africa, Rwanda, and we all know about it. Just coming to mind as we're talking, it was called the Asante Group, and there were, a, um, these were the, they were actually infants and children during the um, incredible 100-day genocide where a million people were killed. These were the children left to die in the streets, and, and the babies, and some of the kids who watched the most incredible atrocities in their life. Just astounding. It was br brutal. And um, we, got, we got involved uh, with these kids, with at least 35 or 40 of them, over a long period of time. And uh, we knew them when they were little. They were adorable. And they were also very talented. They came to the United States. And they were a, a troop of kids from one of the orphanages called the Santi at that time. And they were raising money for this orphanage. They called the school, a school they were going to. And uh, it turned out it started with one child. It wound up with, if I don't remember the number, forget, three or 4,000 kids. And this group of 35 or 40 kids stayed with us. Um, got over a period of, I don't know, maybe four years. They came years. to the United States as a choir yeah. and toured to raise funds for the for their program, but also for everyone, all the kids back yeah. in Africa. And um, we got to be very involved with these kids, and a number of them stayed with us in our, our ranch. And i got to tell you, it was one of the most fulfilling, incredible experiences of my life. Frankly, if I weren't older, I would have adopted Patrick and Vianney. That was my favorites. There were other beautiful kids. These were Rwandans. Later on, they also took in kids from Burundi, which were even more impoverished than the kids from Rwanda. Mm -hmm. And so we, had, we, we, uh, we took care of them. Actually, the Rwandan kids took care of the Burundi kids. They did. Amazing. Yeah. But I learned so much watching these kids. They were the most... I remember when they first came to our institute and there were a group of them, we had a, a little grouping that night and these little kids came and they were adorable. And, um, and I was walking with Patrick and he said, 
something to me like, we're here because we're a blessing to you. And this little thing, if you knew Patrick today, he's not little, but he was a smart little bugger. And basically I looked and I go, how does this kid know this at five years old or six yeah, years old? Yeah. And it was the truth. It was the truth. These were the most astounding children I've ever met. I wish the, the kids in the United States would be like these kids. Yeah. They had such an appreciation for life and a gratitude that was, you, you, you just would eat it up. It was so beautiful. And they were also lovable kids. And they weren't, it wasn't fantasy, it wasn't pretend. Mm -mm. For them, it was the real, the real fruit, it's kind of a phrase, but the real, the real experience of having gone through what they came through and, and, and being able to be alive. Well, you know, it was interesting, and I didn't ever, I didn't probe, because I knew they came from talk. But as they got to know us over the years, they would share with me what really happened. And I would just sit there and I, I wouldn't say a word. It was so ghastly. And they're talking about seeing their mothers and fathers hacked to death, seeing their sisters raped and hacked to death. I mean, I could not believe what I was hearing. And they would share that at a more personal time, at a very quiet time, usually a personal time. But if you watch them and how they took care of each other, how they responded and were so sensitive and empathetic, and astoundingly strong, resilient kids. It was remarkable because then I knew from what they described to me what was what happened with them. And yet the appreciation and gratitude they would show. They were one of the groups, they a couple of these kids picked up on Lynn was not doing well. And they knew it before I did. And I remember they're coming alongside Lynn and they would help her. And they would do things with her, not intrude on her. But just do things, and they were picking up that something was wrong, and it was very subtle. It was very early stages, but they have an, they had a sensitivity for caring for each other, and for others. But for Lynn, they loved Lynn. I remember you saying that they they could, went out one morning and saw Lynn kind of overwhelmed by trying to prepare breakfast, yeah. and they just stepped right in and made breakfast in this very sweet way. And, and loaded the dishwasher and just... They just did it because they were so... Just very low-key, but very, very sweet. And over the years, I would watch them do things for each other, sacrificial things. A, a kid having that kind of character was it was astounding to me. It was things that I value, but to see kids this age with that kind of character yeah. would just blow my mind. It was just wonderful. And uh, I remember the sacrifices at times. I go, well, let me do this for you and they're going, they used to call me uncle, no uncle, they still do by the way, mm -hmm. they are in touch with me, they're not little anymore, and, um, but they would say, no, I'm going to stay with them, I'll take care of them, don't worry about it, you just go in and do what you're going to do, and they would, they'd be sacrificing for each other, Patrick was one of the real strong kids, yeah. very self-serving guy too, I love him, so if yeah. he's watching this great man of me, but he was, he had ambition and talent, but one of the most giving, caring people. And um, his buddy Vianni, I call him Vinny from New Jersey. I used to make. You love me calling him Vinny, mm -hmm. because they were great dancers. And uh, he, Vinny, uh, Vianni danced like a kid from New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And I, so I call him Vinny. He loved that. But his name was Vianni. These, by the way, these children call, stay in touch with me to this day. They send me beautiful texts about Auntie Lynn, and prayers and love and caring. Amazing. And at times we've heard, we've found out that things were very difficult for them when they went back. 
Um, at times they were starving. Um, corruption hit their uh, school, and all of a sudden these kids were out on the street with no Santi food. Santi was, was over, over because of corruption. And all of a sudden these kids were in trouble. They never complained and was amazing. They never asked for anything, and all of a sudden they would call me and they'd say, we're in trouble, and that was the most first time I'd ever heard them say that. Mm -hmm. And then I, I checked other people from other nonprofits and said they're telling you the truth. So we would raise, get food for them and, and help them immediately. And then they would send us videos back. It was beautiful. But their character came out of such hardship and suffering and struggle. And here these are children. And this is what came out of that. Well, we're not children. And our society isn't an African society. It lives so close to the earth. But guess what? We're being confronted. And one of the things that we're seeing is we've had a very easy very, very, easy, very, easy. very easy. And now things aren't. And people aren't always showing up so good so far. I see it that w it will begin to happen. I really believe that. But what happened was they couldn't cope. And um, they didn't know how to look at, at themselves and realize the things they were, they put so much energy and invested themselves in for security and success and getting ahead and living the good life was very fragile and it could be taken away at any time. Now, to tell them that when they were, they were uh, when corporations, are are, they didn't when believe it. times are good, they're not going to hear And boom, all of a sudden it's gone. And people are struggling for food, putting food on the table and salaries and paying the rent and the mortgages and businesses are closing and folding. It's pretty astounding. But what really happened was they invested themselves in the wrong thing. Very fragile, they invested themselves in the tangibles we talked about this before, we've written papers on it. The real strength comes, and the real resilience comes from the intangibles. And that's what we're talking about today. How do you discover that? Go through hard times, suffering and struggle and pain, and watch. All the money in the world doesn't stop death and dying at times. Yeah. Um, you would, it's amazing, because the things that we really think are going to give us some security and, and control are taken away and all of a sudden we are so ill-equipped. Deal with people who have gone through a lot of struggle and suffering and lived a more basic life or have been stripped. They have the resilience and they have the arsenal to fall back onto. They've been through bad times before, they know how to cope. They know how to reach out to help each other and also when they don't, they reach out to others for help too. This is something we are learning right now. But I think the entire world is, to be honest with you, I can't speak about every culture. I know the African culture that we know is much more basic than ours. But um, there's other cultures, they're being confronted just as in such a difficult way as we are. And they're struggling too. Um, so my heart goes out, this is such a massive... Well, and, and we were first started talking about this idea of tangibles and intangibles back uh, about 10 years ago during yeah. the Great Recession. That's right. And we wrote about it. Yep, we and, wrote a book about it. Uh, we've, we've, in the past episodes, been talking about some of the things we wrote back then that are still very applicable to what's happening today. That's right. We've written a number of papers and we wrote one book called um, Trauma Healing the Hidden Epidemic. It needed to be updated just to tweak it to what's happening now, but the basic principles are there. We also talked about self-care and how important that is at a time when you're giving to others and helping others and you're, you're going through a difficult time for the sake of others, you've got to know how to take care of yourself. We have put together teams of caregivers and we have a fabulous team ourselves. 
But I'll tell you what, there's cultures that do a better job. It's just built into their culture. Um, but there's some things that are lacking. I think the Haitian culture, I have had Haitian families that have been involved with my family for 35 years. They're, they're closer to me than blood. That's Yolanda Gaita Taika. They took care of mom, dad, and they're continuing to take care of my 95-year-old mom. I love them. The Fijian culture, and we deal with a lot of Fijian caregivers, they have a great ability to care for others, the sick, the dying, and the, but we've discovered one thing about those cultures. They don't know anything about self-care. That's our specialty, teaching people how to take care of themselves during these difficult times and come out more resilient and um, capable than they were before. We'll get back to it because um, one of our caregivers, uh, Maritha, who is, uh, and her husband Peter, who we love, they're both caregivers from Fiji, um, talked to me about it this weekend. Very touching, and they're very loving people, so I'll get back to that. Good, good. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, just before our break, uh, and we want to save as much time as possible, Peter brought up Peter and Maritha, who are Fijian caregivers. And uh, something that they shared with him this weekend when he was talking about some of the most important things to remember during a very difficult time. Right. Well, I was talking to Maritha mostly. And Maritha said there is, and she does other caregiving, and she does many caregivers, and she said there is nothing like what you do here at the Institute with caregivers. Um, she said this is such a, an experience that caregivers can grow from. She said, I didn't even know what self-care really was. And this is a bright woman. She was a teacher for 27 years. She says, but being here just makes you want to grow. It just, it's a privilege to work on helping others. Um, and she said it in such a sincere, of course, <laughs> she is, very authentic. And it touched me because that wasn't something that we seek out. She just said, I just can't wait to come here and do the work. And the work is hard. It is hard. And very sacrificing. She does so well. She's, she's, she's a just an angel. Yes. But anyway, she had said that to me, and it, it, was, it was nice to hear from somebody else. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Maritha and Peter, hi. I don't want to dismiss you because you're incredible people, but I want we got to go on. But I just wanted to mention you because you really yes. touched me this weekend. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, and thank you for the beautiful work you do. But uh, we we've written some papers, and one of them is called was called um, and it's called Lessons for Thriving in Hard Times. Um, now it was called Thriving. This was written later part of the the last the recession. The great recession. We're kind of coming out of it. Yes. The original part was how to survive. Survive. And frankly, we're in that part right now. With the pandemic. But I just read, so there's some principles that we came up with, and they are very relevant today. But I just read a part that was on this that um, I forgot about, and it was called Pride Affects Our Ability to Thrive. Now, um, <laughs> uh, says, I'm talking instead about having an exaggerated opinion of our own abilities and importance. Pride distances us from others. It makes it difficult for us to feel compassion or empathy for those who may not be doing as well as we are. 
it cuts us off from other people's suffering and pain so that we feel removed and better than they are. That's a complete illusion. In good times, it can be easy to stay behind the walls of pride. <laughs> so right. But in hard times, the loss of finances or health, the walls of illusion and pride come tumbling down. The fall from pride can be very hard, very humbling and very painful. Personally, I choose to let go of pride and I encourage you to do the same. If you do, you will become more real and human and accepting of who you really are. It says the fall from pride during difficult times can lead to something even more real and valuable. I've seen people in my community opening up to each other, reaching out with compassion to those who are struggling. We're beginning to see that. I think we've all been very separate, separated because of our pride, and I see that as a real loss. There are many good, caring people ready to help who have needs that we can meet in return. As part of a loving and giving community, we are no longer alone and begin to thrive in a whole new way. I, you know, that article that Mr. Cox wrote, is that it? Yeah, uh, Rowe. Rowe. Mr. Rowe. He wrote the same thing mm -hmm. in his way. Um, so I, you know, I was looking at that and I go, now I wrote that many years ago because I am filled. I was brought up on pride. There was, that was my, one of my strengths. That was a defense. That was how we survived a very difficult and hard life. But to tell you the truth, it's a very fragile defense when push comes to shove. And what we just talked about. I think that one of the things that's being ripped down right now is the, our pride. Yeah. And frankly, once it comes down, you'll, for the rest of your life, because you'll know how painful that process is, when you feel that your pride is taking over, you'll humble yourself because you'll know how deep and steep and painful the fall can be. That's what's happening on a massive level. I think another, another way you could put, the, put that is people who have felt possibly uh, untouchable invincible, they've got all their all their things in a row, they've got all of the places in place, and so when hard times come, it, it shouldn't touch them. Unfortunately, that's the most fragile form of lifestyle. And in the United States, that's probably the most common. But what we really don't want to face is our own mortality. Well, let me tell you, when you help other people who are sick and dying, you face your own. And now it's happening. Our extraordinary reality is now on a, happening at a massive level. It's going to be quite a learning process, and I expect that there's going to be good that comes out of this. I really do. I don't want to prophesy about the future at this point, because I think people are still in the throes of getting through some very difficult times. The pain and agonizing part is happening now. We're still living pretty much day by day. Things are changing quickly, and, and that is another point in your paper, is don't get ahead. Just take things step by step, day by day. Right, and I think before we end today, we, we re want to reiterate 10 principles, and we are finding them so darn relevant now, because we're seeing people that we know and love that are absolutely struggling and suffering because they're not, not that they have to you know, adhere to these like a religion. But when this is like the basic principles of life that can help you. And when they have gone in a different direction, now they're really paying. Do I think they'll turn around? The people I know, I know they will. But to watch it, very difficult. And I think one of them, we talked about slowing down during hard times. To slow down and begin to take things one day at a time. 
In fact, worrying about the future prevents us from dealing with life in the present with a clear head. That is really important. And if you really want to scare yourself to death other than listening to the media and the news every day, start anticipating and worrying about the future and you will be scaring yourself and making yourself so paranoid that you can make yourself physically ill. So that's something, when you see yourself, you check yourself back. The truth is, it, it's a sense of delusion anyway. What you really need to do is just focus on each day and do the best you can on that day. And that's the best you're going to do. Tomorrow, when it comes, you'll take care of tomorrow. And I'm a spiritual man and I believe that God will help you. But right now, just stay with one day at a time. Do your best. Things are moving really fast and there's a lot involved in each day. And also, this is another one we mentioned it last week, refuse to take on the spirit of fear. And the spirit of fear is always present and it's massive right now. And you don't want to let that overpower you. And let me tell you, a lot of people are being overpowered by it. Um, we talked about dealing with reality. Recognize the facts aren't the complete reality. It's important to face these realities, not to bury your head in the sand, to look at the hard facts of your difficult situation and what's happening now, and to take the necessary precautions for sure. We are dealing with a deadly enemy, no question about it. So nobody's telling you to deny them. But don't let the facts be the complete reality that determines whether you're happy or sad, fulfilled or miserable. The facts may hurt. You may have lost a lot already, especially tangible things that have been so precious to you. But again, take a look at the non-tangibles. There's more to life than our material possessions and the kind of things that we place or put our security in. Our, and one of them is to think that we can't get sick and we can't die or whatever. That's nonsense. We all are going to have our last day on this earth. And as Mr. Rowe Rowe said, we can mature right up until become a mature, fulfilled human being yes. to the last breath we take. Yes. I know that's true, and I've seen people enter that last stage with such grace. I saw my father do it, and I'm watching my wife do it. And it's absolutely a remarkable, inspiring experience. Painful. Yes. Yes. And the other is don't let your emotions dictate your perspective. And that is really important right now because we're all emotional. And also, um, don't let your history determine your future. Now, we, we deal with people that have had past trauma. And that's one of our specialties. But what we're seeing is those old traumas, even though we've done a lot of work with folks, is they're getting re-triggered. And what's happening is it's contaminating the normal fear reactions to something much more overblown. Yeah. And people are getting hysterical, paranoid. They're making themselves sick. Yes. They're going through a hypervigilant, hyperaroused state which opens the immune system up. It decreases its ability to fight disease. People You're, are getting sick with things other than COVID. That's right, but also, you know, we want to, we want to be in good shape to fight that disease if we can. And when you go into hyperarousal 24-7, your immune system defenses begin to come down. If you go into panic and you go into hysteria and fear, fear that's so high, it weakens, that. it weakens your ability to fight, to disease. fight the disease. Keep that in mind. And um, let's see, it says don't get fixated on what's been taken away or what you can lose. Be aware of it, deal with it, and shift your perspective as quickly as you can. And begin to appreciate what you have. Let me tell you something. That's your story of Asante. Yes, and that's the truth. You go through these things, you are going to, if you're in the right state of mind, even though it's painful and difficult, 
you will learn to be grateful and appreciative for the littlest things and how good your life has been and how you've been blessed instead of focusing on all the negatives that we're being bombarded right now. So that's very, very important. The other is examine your spiritual life. Well, I can't tell people what your religious beliefs are going to be or whatever, and my own. And I'm, uh, and, but I can tell you this. During crisis and trauma, and I've dealt with so much of it, with not in my own life only, but in other people's, the element of spirituality always comes up because the, the power of the experience is so out of our hands. We don't have control. And then you all of a sudden get this very intuitive, strong hit that something else is in control and calling the shots. Right. All we can do is survive it if we can and live through it. And we, we become aware of that spiritual part of ourselves. It's not always, it, we're, it's very important to be aware of that. Um, let's see what else. Reach out to others and find help if you need it. And don't give up. I say, let me encourage you, hang in there. Don't let your finances or your circumstances determine your future. Remember that there's far more in life than that. Through suffering and struggle, I believe that our lives can be transformed. And I think that nails it. I do too. I do too. Uh, the Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you. And we hope that what we're doing here has benefited you and that you'll go to the website sctraumatreatment.org and make a donation. Uh, you can also uh, like us, our, our podcast on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, listen to us on uh, all of the podcast sites and watch us on video on YouTube. Uh, we also uh, have resources on our website, papers, and the list that Peter went through with this paper um, went through rather quickly. You can get a copy, an updated copy of that directly from our website, which is thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. Uh, you can get hold of Peter and I at 707-781-3335 or Jenny at bernsteininstitute.com. Peter has his own Instagram. And uh, we hope that you will get in touch. We would love to hear your feedback. Uh, we want to meet the needs that you have and respond. All our best and stay well. Mm -hmm.